Father, thank you so much for this church. We do want to pray for Pastor Skip. We want to pray that he continues to improve, that his health continues to improve. God, we ask that during this time that you'll give him great rest, that you'll be with him in in, in the secret place and in the quietness of his heart. And as he's, I'm sure, studying and reading so much, Lord, would you meet him there? Would he be able to experience and know your presence? Father, we want to pray for Pastor Nate and the entire Israel team. Lord, we ask that you would do miraculous things in Israel. Um, in front of that team's eyes that they would see the Bible in 3D, that they would have experiences that, that, that aren't just increased because they're in Israel and that's where you walked. We know that you're just as close to us here as, as you were with them there or as you are with them there. But we just ask that as they're spending time looking at the land and opening the Bible, that you would do your work in their hearts and they would come back blessed and that we would be able to rejoice with them and not be too jealous. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. People will do crazy things for love. People will do crazy things for love. I just typed in Google this week, what, what have people done for love? In the name of love, or to get love, to receive love. And uh, I want to share stories of three different young men that did crazy things for love. The first, he says, the, the craziest thing I ever did was fly across the country, across the country, he said, from Chicago to Connecticut, because his girlfriend's heater, water heater, went out. And he was afraid that he was going like, to lose her. He felt like their relationship was slipping. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to go fix the water heater. Then I'm going to come back here the next day. So he wanted to, to experience the recipient. He wanted to be a recipient of love. So he bought a plane ticket, a round trip. I want to tell you about Somebody, his name is Jordan. He was 20 years old. And uh, this is kind of one of those stories that you want to put the disclaimer at the bottom of the screen that says, do not try this at home. Um, He also felt like his relationship was slipping and his girlfriend might leave him. And he was like really worried about this. And so he asked his friend to shoot him in one of his appendages with a real gun so that that would engender or that, that would garner some care from his girlfriend. And, and for some reason, he thought that that was going to make her love him more. Well, she found out that it was all set up and she left him. I guess that really backfired. Um, and then lastly, lastly, I want to tell you about this guy in Russia. His name is Alexei, and we can put his photo up on the screen. I know it's really pixelated, but this was like a, a cell phone photo from 2009. And uh, I'm going to tell you Alexei's story. He was hoping that he could get this girl to marry him, but he wanted to know if she loved him and how heartbroken she would be if he was gone. So what he did was he hired a movie director, stuntmen, makeup artist, and he faked his own car crash. And he said, hey, I want to go on a date with you. Meet me at this place at six o'clock tonight. We're going to be there. And as she pulls into the parking lot, she sees that there are cars everywhere. There is smoke coming out of his car, that there's ambulances there. He even convinced some of these actors, a paramedic, to tell her that he had died. And so he, she's like heartbroken. It says in the story that she is sobbing her eyes out. And that's when he decided, wow, she really does love me. Wow, I guess she really would miss me. So he came back to life, quote unquote, and he, he proposed in that moment. And uh, 
And apparently, she says, this is what, what she reported to the, the news reporters, is that she was so angry at him that she almost killed him again. <laughs> but instead, she said yes, and the pair got married. So maybe, hopefully, you've never done any of those things for love. But the reality is, we all long for love to be pursued, to be adored, to be affirmed, to be cared for, to be loved. I was looking up just how many users there are on the online dating platforms. Um, Match.com has some 35 million people monthly using that website, Match.com. Plenty of Fish doesn't have as many as Match.com, so who really has plenty of fish? But um, they've got 23 million active users. And for all, all the good saintly Christians out there, Christian Mingle, 5.5 million active monthly users. We long to be loved. And it's not just a romantic love. We long to be loved by the people that we love. We long to be loved by our family, by our friends, by our coworkers. I like what Michael Scott said when he was asked, would you rather be loved or feared? And he said, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. <laughs> well, in 2013, U2, the band, released a song called Ordinary Love. And it was based off of Nelson Mandela and how we should have an ordinary love for, for mankind, that we should have a love for one another regardless of our race. But our goal tonight, my goal for us, and I hope you enter into this goal with me, is that we would study, consider, and be immersed in the truth of God's love. And we will see that his love is anything but ordinary. I've titled the message tonight, Unordinary Love. And maybe you're tempted to think as you hear me talk about, oh, we're going to be talking about the love of God tonight. Maybe you're tempted to think like, man, can't we get into eschatology? Can't we get into some ecclesiology? Don't, doesn't he know that I've watched Veggie Tales? I know that God made me special and has a plan for my life. Loves me very much. But I just want to remind us all tonight that we never, that we never graduate from the gospel. There's an author that I really like. His name is Joe Thorne, and he wrote a book called Note to Self. And actually, the whole book is about preaching the gospel to yourself. And he says in this book, he says, For the record, the gospel itself is the climax of all theology. There is nothing deeper, more powerful, or more relevant to make known. And then he goes on to say, if you're more excited about any facet of truth, of the truth of God, other than the gospel, you have issues that need to be addressed. His words, not mine. But I want to, with you tonight, look at the unordinary love of God. So turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and as we're turning there, as you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of background. The author is John, well, that's easy, his name's on the book, um, and he is a disciple that was obsessed with love. He wrote five of the books in the New Testament, and of those five books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation, he uses the word love 72 
times. He was obsessed with it. In fact, if there's one thing that John would want to be known for, it was that he beat Peter to the tomb. He ran faster than Peter. No, I'm just joking. That's maybe if he wanted to add two things he wanted to be known for. The first thing, if he wanted to be known for anything, it was that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. We're even told that in a church history tradition tells us that when he became too old to preach, he would be carried into church gatherings and he would whisper and say, my little children love one another. First John chapter three, verse one, we're going to spend our whole time looking at this one verse tonight. It says, behold, behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we might be called the children of God. He starts off with a really strong word, behold. Everyone say behold. Behold. I almost guarantee that's the first time you said that word today. (laughs) It's not a a term that we use often. It's like, honey, uh, have you seen my iPhone? Behold your iPhone. Uh, You've got something in your teeth. You might want to go behold yourself in the mirror. (laughs) Behold means to see, to consider, to gaze at, and to take in. Has anyone here been to the Grand Canyon before? Arizona, yeah, Grand Canyon. Behold, right? Anyone ever been to the Sistine Chapel? Did anyone, here, this is a little side question. Anyone take your iPhone and take pictures of the top of the Sistine Chapel, even though the Pope threatened you and said not to do that? Anyone do that? No, okay, well, good. You guys are a lot better than me. Um, No, I mean, I didn't do that. Uh, The first time that you stepped onto a beach and saw the vastness of the ocean. Behold, you took that in. In fact, when I still go to the ocean, I am enamored with the immensity of the water that's there. And I, I, could, I could sit there on the, on the beach forever and just look at that. But R.C. Chapman, he was a contemporary of, uh, of Hudson Taylor. And this is, this is really cool. He was actually the mentor to George Mueller, who adopted like hundreds and thousands of kids. Well, he didn't personally adopt them, but he started orphanages to take care of kids. Well, R.C. Chapman, who was Mueller's mentor, he said this of the love of God. He said, when we would consider the love of God in Christ, we are as one approaching the ocean. He casts a glance at the surface, but its depths he cannot sound. The immensity of God's love. By the way, don't people just speak so much better 150 years ago? I was thinking about that, and I was, I, was, I was thinking, maybe the reason we like the way they spoke so much and it sounds so amazing is just because we don't speak that way now. And I was like, no, because 150 years from now, when our great-grandchildren are reading the things that we posted on Twitter, I don't think they're going to be impressed. They're going to be like, it's going to be like a tweet, real talk, that sermon fire, bruh. It's like, uh, I don't think that's going to be too impressive, but... The vastness of God, we only see the surface, but its depths we cannot sound. So John urges us to behold and to consider and to contemplate the magnificent love of God. But notice this, he says, behold what manner of love. He doesn't just say behold the love of God. He says, behold what manner of love. 
And that's a phrase that distinguishes the fact that this is a unique kind of love. This isn't just the same kind of love that we're familiar with. I don't know if you guys remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Maybe I'm not supposed to bring that up. I, I don't think there's any, I don't know. I'll have to, don't go see it if you haven't seen it. I just, it's been a long time. But uh, Tim the Enchanter, um, these guys, these knights come up to this guy who can just make fire appear out of nowhere. And they go, what manner of man is this that summons fire without flint or tinder? It's like, this is clearly a different kind, a unique kind of person that can make this happen. Or you think back to the disciples who were on the Sea of Galilee and the waves were crashing and there was a storm all around. And Jesus speaks and the, the storm is calmed. And they say, what manner of man is this that even the waves and the wind obey his voice? So John is saying, hey, his love isn't just a normal love. It is unordinary. It is what manner. It is all together different. And for the rest of our time together tonight, I want to look at three characteristics of God's unordinary love. Three characteristics. The first that we're going to see is that it is a generous, a generous love. We look at the verse again. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Bestowed on us. That's like gift-giving language right there. One author of a commentary said that, that the best translation he could think of for this word bestow is that it's a free love, that it doesn't come with attachment, that it doesn't come with a price tag. Hey, can I um, tonight open up with you guys a little bit and, and, and be a, real, a little real? Um, there was a time in my life where I thought God's great purpose for me and his reason for having me be on this planet was so that I could be in the NBA. <laughs> and I know, like, I know, I know that might come as a shock, um, but I tried hard. I was like, I'm going to make the basketball team. I'm going to like be varsity, you know, freshman year. And I'm going to be, in the, and then like, if, if not the NBA, then at least I'll be on like that street team and one where they like play in Harlem and there are like video games about all those guys. And, and I tried so hard and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I tried and I tried and I tried. And every year when tryouts came, the coach would call some names and my name wasn't called. <laughs> And they would say like, hey, these are the guys that made the team. And Matt, there's this other league that you might want to, I don't know, you maybe try out this Saturday league. They might, they might let you on their team. But I would try, I would try, I would try, I would practice, I would practice, I would practice, and I would fail, I would fail, I would fail. So I've given up on sports, and that's okay. But my performance always fell short. I didn't meet the bar. But can I just tell you that the love of God isn't like tryouts or auditions or campaigning for a job. It's not about your works or your wisdom or your spirituality. The love of God is a generous love that is bestowed upon us. It's not about how many jumping jacks we can do or free throws that we can hit. See, human love is very different. Human love always has a 
a price tag that we check before we commit to that object that we're going to give our love to. We assess the value or the quality of that object or that person. We compare it to others before we decide to ascribe our love to that object. Not so with God. You see, God's love is, he loves all of us because it is his very nature. God is love. His love for you, and maybe you desperately need to hear this tonight, his love for you is not the result of your skills or your smarts or your style or how you compare with other Christians. Paul tells us, that God loved us when we were at our worst. Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were sinners, while we were filled with pride, while we were making ourselves enemies of God, while we were cursing his name, while we were mocking him, while we were hurting our neighbors, while we were cheating on our spouses. That's when Christ died for us. His love for you isn't based off of your actions. He loves because it is, nat- it is his nature. And he wants to bring you out of that. He wants to set you free from those, those life-dominating sins. He wants to forgive us and set us free But his love for us isn't based off of how good we are. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us less. His love is generous. Jesus told us on the Sermon on the Mount that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Can I just say that Jesus is a good leader, that he never calls us to do something that he hasn't first done himself? Because you see, you and I were his enemies. We were the ones that persecuted him. Paul was putting people in prison, and when Jesus knocked Paul off of his horse, he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? But even then, Jesus had died for Paul. So this is something that he modeled himself, loving his enemies. Have you ever considered, maybe not, but have you ever considered that maybe you are not the most lovable person in the world? I know that might sound like, like way out of left field, like, well, no, I, I think I am kind of the most lovable person in the world. Well, ask your spouse. Actually, Maybe don't, because I want you to have a great night tonight. (laughs) It is a wonder to me, it is a wonder to me that God has showed anything, anything but justice to me. See, his love towards me is undeserved, it is unearned, it has been bestowed upon me. It is a generous, generous love. The second characteristic that I want to point out in this this passage, the second characteristic of his love, is that it is an adoptive love. 
Let's look at this passage together. Behold what manner of love the Father, the Father has bestowed on us that we might be called the children of God. John loves to use, this is another word that John loves to use in his writings is Father. And you know, this is really interesting. I was reading, uh, he's a professor at DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary. His name is Robert Stein. And he pointed, pointed out that the entire Old Testament only has 17 references to God as a father. And I thought, man, that's crazy because there, there are so many books, there are so many verses, there are so many times that God is referenced, but in the entire Old Testament, there are only 17 references of God as Father. And he goes on to point this out. He says, Robert Stein, the teaching of the fatherhood of God takes a decided turn with Jesus. For father was his favorite term for addressing God. So get this, Jesus referring to God as our father, as his father, 65 times in the Synoptic Gospels. Over a hundred times in the book of John. Let me remind you, 17 times in the Old Testament, get this, 18 times in the Sermon on the Mount alone does Jesus refer to God as our father or your father. And he attributes those personal pronouns, not just the father of the universe, but your father in heaven. How shall we pray? Our father that art in heaven. 18 times in the Sermon on the Mount, that's more than the entire Old Testament. So the reason that I bring that up isn't to say that the the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. But this is why I bring it up. It's that our relationship with the God of the New Testament is different than it was when it was Old Testament. Because he has invited us in through the cross to be adopted as his children. So he hasn't changed, but our relationship, the opportunity for our relationship has changed because of adoption. Now, if you know any parents that have adopted children, you know that it takes an unordinary, a special kind of love. And we want to honor the people who have adopted children, who've gone out of their way and said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, because there are more kids who want parents than parents that want kids, I'm going to go out and try to rescue some of those kids, and I will become the father to the fatherless. But that is an unordinary, that is a special, that is a unique kind of love. And I, I am embarrassed to admit that I had never noticed this today about the word adoption, It's dissected, it can be dissected into two roots from Latin, ad meaning to, and optio meaning choose, or or literally the word option is in adoption, right? To choose. So adoption literally means to choose. How incredibly special is that for those of us children of God that he has chosen us? 
I got to go to Brazil maybe a year, maybe it was like two years ago, and it was with Compassion International. It was kind of like a research trip. Pastor Nate and I were uh, taken out there so that we could look at how churches were planted and how those churches would then go to do amazing things for children, um, giving them food, giving them education, and they were sharing a lot of statistics with us and, and sharing a lot of stories. But one of the cool things is we got to be there uh, feet on the ground and see the kids themselves. And while I was over there, I saw the, the condition that these children were living in, like dirt floors, not joking, cardboard walls and like broken pieces of plywood that were just all nailed together or glued together or just however they could, they could put these on somewhat of a frame of a house. They would do that and they would live in those homes. And while I was over there, I kind of started getting this, this feeling. And I thought, maybe this is the Holy Spirit, that, that, that God is calling me to be a father to these fatherless kids, right? And so I was just like, man, I, there are a few kids here that I really want to adopt. And I thought, maybe this is going to be a big part of my story. As, as a few years later, Alyssa and I are going to go back to Brazil and the same kids that we got to minister to then, we bring them home with us to the U.S. now. And so I shared that with, with the guide on the trip. And he kind of looked confused, and then he kind of like leaned over and whispered to me, and he was like, oh, these kids actually have parents. <laughs> that would be kidnapping. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> one of the prerequisites for being adopted <laughs> is that you don't already have those parents. Adoption is becoming a father to the fatherless. Paul speaks about adoption quite a bit. But in Romans chapter 8, I want to read a passage with you. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 starts, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we, indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We've been given a spirit of adoption because you and I in our sinful state, we were left abandoned and orphaned. We were separated from a holy God that loved us immensely, but our sin kept us away. We were orphans, but through the cross, he has given us a spirit of adoption so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Several years ago, I got to go to Israel. And growing up in the church, I knew that the term Abba means Father. We all are, are familiar with that. Abba means father. But while I was in Israel, it was kind of like an extended stay, and I was primarily hanging out with this one family that brought me in and let me have, you know, meals with them and watch Israeli Idol with them, and it was a great time. Lots of hummus. Um, hummus and Coca-Cola, by the way, is surprisingly good together. Not a big soda fan, but Coca-Cola and hummus was quite the treat. Well, they had a teenage daughter, and she was kind of like a typical, what you might expect of, a, of like an American teenage girl. Um, and I know 
That's painting with a, a broom, like everyone's unique. But there were some things that I was like, oh, that seems very familiar to, to what we might experience back in the States. But she would always call her dad Abba, 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 Abba. And uh, Abba, can I, can I drive the car today? I would like to go to the movies. Abba, can I have like a few extra, can I have some money? Because I, I, I want to go to the mall. Abba, can you pass the Coca-Cola? Abba, can you pass the hummus? Those two things are really great together. And, um, and growing up, I kind of always had like this reverential respect maybe for the the term Abba because it's like oh that's what Jesus calls God the Father and he gives us that spirit that we can call God that but but like it kind of irked me if I'm honest that this Israeli teenage girl was calling her dad Abba so much it just made me feel a little uncomfortable it's like no there's there's supposed to be reverence for that and it was like the Holy Spirit just poked me in the heart and it was like that's the whole point is God doesn't want to have a business relationship with you he wants to be your daddy he wants to have the most intimate relationship with you that there ever could be He's not a captain. He's not a commander. He's, he doesn't ask us to call him his majesty or sir or mister, but dad. He invites us into his throne room. He invites us any time of the day. You can bug me by asking me about money to go to the movies. I want to hear about your every concern, child of mine, because I am your Abba. I am your dad. This reminds me of a story that takes place in 2 Samuel. King David has, has recently come to the throne. He's actually been king of Israel for a little while now. And, um, and one day he just asks his servant a question. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. He asks Ziba, which is such a weird name, but that's what his name was. He says, Ziba. My servant, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, something that's important to realize is often in ancient days, when you became king, if you came from a new family line, most often you would have the, the previous king's entire lineage killed. So that there wouldn't be opportunities for them to rise up and to try to overthrow you and to, to get their lineage back on the throne. And so it was really common practice, like really horrible practice, but really common, that, that, that any new king would try to erase the previous king's lineage. But David says this. He says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? In verse 11, after Ziba says, well, yeah, technically there's this guy Mephibosheth. He can't walk because he was fleeing for his life. And then he, his, his, his nurse fell and he, she was carrying him and his leg broke. And so, so he's uh, crippled. He's lame is, is the way that the Bible uh, describes it. And you know what David says? In verse 11, 2 Samuel chapter 9, David says, as for Mephibosheth, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. See, David would have been viewed as merciful if he just let Mephibosheth live, keep his life. He would have been seen as merciful if he didn't kill him. But he wasn't about just showing mercy. He wanted to demonstrate grace. 
Because mercy is not getting what we do deserve, but grace is getting what we don't deserve. And for this person, this individual that could have been seen as a threat to David, that could have been seen as an enemy of David, he says, no, that one, he is going to sit at my table, and I'm going to treat him just as though he's one of my sons. Isn't that exactly the way that God shows his love to us? That we, the enemies of God, would be invited to his table. That the Bible says that we are currently seated with him, that we are seated with him in heavenly places, that we could be co-heirs with Jesus. Despite the sin that we had and despite the sin that we still commit. So we see, secondly, that God's love is an adoptive love. Behold what manner of love. Kind of going back to that term, behold, it means that we can see, right? When you say behold, you're telling somebody to look at something. Well, that means, because he says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that means that God's love is visible. That God's love is seeable. What does it look like? How is it seen? What symbol represents God's love? Just a few weeks ago, we had Valentine's Day. Anyone go like all out for Valentine's Day? It's like, when you spend like, oh, there's, there's a few people. Every year, Alyssa and I, Valentine's Day comes around, um, and we're just, we always ask the same question is, I forget, do we do anything for Valentine's Day? Like, do we buy each other gifts this year for Valentine's Day? Valentine's Day, the two months leading up to it, as soon as Christmas ends, everything in every store is red and heart-shaped. You can buy pillows that are heart-shaped. You can buy flowers. You can buy bamboo branches that are heart-shaped. You can buy chocolate that is heart-shaped. You can buy candy and just about anything else. I even saw a place that sells heart-shaped pizza for the two weeks leading up to Valentine's Day. Well, we've kind of adopted the symbol of the heart as the best representation for our society, our culture of love. But I want to tell you tonight that the greatest symbol for love isn't a bouquet and it isn't a heart, but it's a cross. Our third principle is that his love is a cross-shaped love. His love is a cross-shaped love. And I want to point out, this, this verse doesn't mention explicitly Jesus' death, but I will say this. It is impossible to accurately talk about the love of God without talking about the cross of Christ. It is impossible to accurately talk about the love of God without talking about the cross of Christ. Because if the cross was neglected, adoption would not be an option. The most popular verse in the Bible John 3.16, probably the most popular verse in the Bible, simultaneously speaks of the love of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son. If we start in the previous verse, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I said this before, but, but, but our sin left us fatherless orphans separated from a holy and loving God. Our sin made us enemies of God. And just as any good judge has to sentence criminals to a punishment for their crimes, a sentence was set for us. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, there was a spiritual death, but then we're also told we're also told that when we sin, that there's death for us as well. Death and separation for all of eternity in a place that the Bible calls hell. It's not popular. We don't love to talk about that, but it is true. You know, you often hear about families who are wanting to adopt, but they maybe decide not to because of all the legal fees that come alongside that. It's a really expensive thing to bring a child um, out, of, out, of the, out of that situation and into your family. But I want to tell you tonight that Jesus paid the legal fees for our adoption for us when he died on the cross where we belonged. He suffered our punishment and he paid the price for our sin. I started off by saying people do crazy things. People do crazy things for love. And it wasn't the nails, it wasn't the nails that kept him on that cross. It was his love for you. Unlike the guy in the beginning, this message, that illustration from Russia, he didn't fake his death to prove or to make us prove that we loved him. There were no directors or makeup or actors Jesus, the God of the universe, subjected himself to mockery, beatings, the feeling of abandonment from his father, and he died. You see, he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I could cry out, Abba, Father, he became the orphan so that we could become the children of God. There is no greater love than a cross-shaped love. And if that's the nature of God, isn't that a God that you want to follow? Isn't that a God that you want to know? I want to talk about two takeaways, and then we're going to kind of do something unique. I want to close with a, a, a full song. I know we usually end with just like a chorus of something, but um, after I share a few takeaways, I, I, I want us to, to, to end the night singing about how he loves us and just beholding and gazing and considering the love of God for us. So the two takeaways that I see from this text is keep beholding. Keep 
beholding. Behold was that first word that we, we addressed, is to gaze at, to consider, to take in. And I want to tell you that that is the life of the Christian, that that should be the life of the Christian, that daily we are taking in, that we are gazing, that we are beholding the magnificent love of God. See, you and I are pretty good at forgetting things. Jesus gave us the institution of communion, which I'm, I'm so glad we got to take last week, literally said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of the fact that I came and I entered your world and I stretched out my arms and nails were pierced through my wrists and through my ankles and I was pierced in the side and then I breathed my last that's also not only why we take communion, that's why it's so crucial that as Christians we're spending time in the Word. Not so that we can make God love us more. We already tackled that. We can't make God love us more. He loves us immensely. But the more that we put Him before our eyes, the more we're going to meditate on Him throughout the day, the more that we're going to be enamored with His love. And as we're filled up with His love then we can start to love others the way that he loves them. Which leads me to my second takeaway, our second point, is that we want to, number one, keep beholding. Number two, we want to copy his behavior. We heard a great message from Tony Clark this weekend, and he was in Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5 say this. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. I love that. Walk in love as dear children. You know, we've spent a good, good time tonight considering the fact that it's amazing that he became a father to us. That he loved us sacrificially. And like, like any good kid, like... They, they often look up to their parents and they, do, do any, does anyone have kids that do that whole like really annoying kind of copycat thing where everything that you say, they say too? Or right now, my daughter is doing that with my son. And so anything that he says, she will repeat the same thing. And it's really not, not good when he like starts saying things that he shouldn't be saying. Um, and then she starts saying things or he's being mean. And so she starts saying those same mean things. Um, but sometimes he's is so kind and will say really gracious things and loving things. And then, and then she's his little copycat. Well, the word mimic there literally means to be a copycat, to look up to our father and say, Hey, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to love the way that he loves. And it says the way that he loves, yeah, is sacrificially. And so we ought to give ourselves sacrificially. It's so great. We all know John 3.16. But one of the other great 3.16s of the Bible is 1 John 3.16. It says that by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. And I want to read the next verse as well. It is so good. It says we should lay down our lives for our brethren, but whoever, continuing that thought, he said, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So John starts chapter three saying, how magnificent is God's love? 
And then he gets to verse 16 and says, we need to show God's love to people. If people have needs and we have the resources to meet those needs, let's show sacrificial love to them, even if they can't pay us back. I don't know how many of you were at the Renew event on Thursday last week. It was just so cool to see church unity. There were 175 churches over there for that worship night. But the guest speaker, Josh White, he's from Portland. And earlier that morning, he said something that hit me so hard. And it was just so good. He said, the only tangible evidence that we Jesus is that we love one another. Let me say that again. The only tangible evidence that you and I belong to Jesus, is that we love one another. We talk about the fact that we can see God's love, but the world should be able to see our love for them as well. So the three characteristics that we covered is that our Father loves us so generously, adoptively, sacrificially. Well, let's love others those same ways. Loving people that don't deserve it. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you're like, that is the last person that I ever want to do anything sacrificial for. Well, guess what? That may be the very person you need to do something sacrificial for because they don't deserve it. But guess what? We never deserved God's love either. Maybe we can love people adoptively. Maybe, literally, God might be calling somebody in here to adopt children. But maybe there's even another way of thinking about this. You know, we talk about often when we are talking about connect groups that loneliness is an epidemic, that 54% of Americans say that they struggle with loneliness and that, you know, it can be equivocated to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Well, the Bible says that God places the isolated in families. Newsflash, that's us. We're the families. And so maybe what we need to be doing is inviting people over to have dinner at our house, inviting the people that we see and have seen for years here, and we've always thought, oh, I wonder what that person, they always kind of sit alone. But I'm sure somebody else is going to talk to them. What if we decided to be the family for that lonely person, and who knows how that could change their life? Maybe it's not just lonely people inside the church. Maybe it's the people at your work that you know nobody ever wants to hang out with because they're annoying and they always talk to you about the weirdest things. And it's like, why are you still talking? Are we still here? I think you exhausted my entire lunch break. Bring that person over and show them love. And let's love others sacrificially. Love in a way. Love in a way that costs you And this is hard because like I'm up here too, like I'm pointing, but I have like fingers pointing back at me as well, is love people that can't repay you. Love people that it's like, well, it's not convenient for you to love them. It's not like, well, if I love them now, then I'm probably going to get a little, you know, maybe they'll give me a gift next week. (laughs) Love people that can never repay you. But listen, if you leave here tonight and you think, okay, Matt told me that I've got to love sacrificially, that I've got to like love adoptively, that I've got to love so generously, I've got to do all these things, be, you know, work faster, do more, love better, love quicker. That can be, make us feel really burdened. And if you leave that way, that is the opposite of what I'm trying to communicate because it has to begin with beholding. 
Before we can copy his behavior, we have to bask in his behavior. Billy Graham uh, wrote this, and I, I mean, or he spoke it, and it was written, and it's just so good. I have to share this quote with you. Billy Graham says, and he wrote this in the 60s, but I think it's still very applicable today. He says, there is not a person who has the ability to love as he should unless he first loves Christ and the Holy Spirit has control of his life. He says, that's the reason for the race problem in America today. We have legislation and we need legislation, but it will be nothing but a cold war unless the love of God is in our hearts. That's the reason we must have a spiritual revival in our country, to save it. Men who turn to God love their neighbor no matter what the color of his skin I would add, no matter what his uh, political affiliation, no matter what his circumstances, this is the love that God gives as a gift. And it is produced in the heart by the Holy Spirit who lives there. I want to invite the band back out. And, and again, like I said, we're, gonna, we're just going to stand and we're going to sing about the love of God. There's a fantastic song written by John Mark McMillan called How He Loves Us. There's portions in there that talk about if grace was an ocean, we're all sinking. And uh, man, I want us to sing that tonight, believing that tonight, thanking God for that tonight, that he loves us. And you know, maybe, maybe you did feel a little bit like, wow, this message, you know, I didn't learn a whole lot. But listen, I think, I think that sometimes we need to sit back and be a little bit like Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him and remembering how incredibly intensely he loves us. But I also, I also want to give you an opportunity because maybe you've not been forgiven of your sins. Maybe you're hearing me talk about being a son or a daughter, being adopted into this family, and you're like, that is the farthest. I don't even know what that means. I've never experienced that love. I've never known the love of God like that. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to know that love. Can we all bow our heads and can we, can we be praying? Father, I, I thank you so much. And this, this message was so much for me this week. And I, I appreciate that you allowed uh, my eyes to, to gaze upon this text and, and thus to gaze upon you. But Father, I pray right now for anybody who's far from you. Maybe they're still in their sin, but you died for us while we were sinners. Jesus, I ask that you would save them from their sin, that you would help them to realize that you are ready to forgive them, that you are eager to separate them from their sin as far as the east is from the west to remove them from their sin and from the penalty of it. God, I ask for the people who are lonely. You know, I ask for the people who are isolated and they feel like they have no family. God, would you bring them to yourself? Would you show them your unordinary love and would you make them to know that they are cherished and if that's you in here tonight and you've never surrendered to Jesus you've never been forgiven of your sins and you want that you want to be forgiven you want to have purpose you want to be filled with meaning you want your, your, your life to be filled with meaning you want to know the God that isn't a far off distant deity but that came into our suffering with us. 
you want to be forgiven of your sins tonight, I want you to just raise your hand. It's just like a little act of faith saying, God, I, I want to be saved. God, I want to follow you. God bless you. I see your hand right here. Is there anybody else? You raise your hand. You say, I want to be a child of God. I want to be a son or a daughter of the king. I want to know that freedom. I want to know that forgiveness. You raise your hand right now. God bless you. Awesome. In the family room and over here to the front. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else that says, I need forgiveness. I am a sinner. God, thank you so much for these that have uh, just raised their hands. I ask that you will fill them with courage, that you will fill them with faith, that you will help them to follow you. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Before we go into this song, can we all just stand up? And I want to give you an opportunity. If you raise your hand, I want to give you an opportunity to put feet to that, that faith that you already demonstrated by raising your hand. I want you to do something with your feet now and come forward right in front of this stage and I'm just going to pray with you. I'm just going to pray with you a prayer that, all, that a lot of us in here have prayed at some point in our life. Asking Jesus to make you new. Asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins. So right now, you come forward as we, as we hear this music. You come forward. I'm going to pray with you in just a second. I saw like six or seven hands shoot up across the room and I'm not trying to call you out, make you feel embarrassed or anything, but we love you too. And we want to be able to pray with you. We want to be able to encourage you. We want to get a Bible in your hand. And I do think there's something to be said for taking a step forward and saying, I am going to follow Jesus. And I don't mind if other people know that. So you come forward right now. If that's you, you come forward. Anybody else that wants to come up here and pray this prayer? We have, we have one very brave young lady that said, hey, I want to go up there. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. Can we encourage her? We'll give you a few more seconds. You can come up and we're going to pray in just a second. forward. We're so excited for you. We, we really are so stoked. This change today changes everything. And we believe that, that because of the cross, we can be forgiven our sins. So I'm just going to pray and you can pray after me out loud, but just try to pretend 
Well, I kind of like pretending that we're all here. We are all here with you, and we are coming together with you to celebrate with you. But do just try to just try to speak to God this. Say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus is a Savior. I believe He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and rose again. I turn from my sins. I turn to you as my Savior and Lord. Father, help me to follow you all of my life. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we put our hands together? This is Austin. We just want to get you a Bible and spend a few a few moments with you. You can follow him into the room. That would be awesome. Hey, that is so good. Hey, let's let's continue singing. I ended early so that we could continue singing. So let's let's do that. And then God bless you. We'll see you guys next week after this song. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.